Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux. XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. On FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, and there's Mr. Dave Martino. Hello, just, hello. Just got back from the karate workout. That's right. Always. <laughs> Always out there causing trouble, Al. Yeah. I'm you trying. do it out in the street. I'll tell you, I'd call the yeah. police. Yeah. They usually do. I see there's some weird <laughs> man out there with swords running around kicking and doing all this stuff, and I don't know what's going on. I can run fast, though. So yeah. I've never been caught yet. <laughs> well, I'll give him the address next time. How's that? Yes. You know, that's where he's located. Oh, no. Yeah, he has a whole basement full of weapons. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Basement of the House of Mystery. Yeah, basement full of weapons. Twinkies. Yeah. <laughs> Twinkies, yes. Twinkies. Well, okay, let's get on to this. Now, this is... Uh, We've got a short story writer, so it's kind of like uh, you should be kind of in this league too. You do that yeah, sort of thing, yeah, you know. So, yeah. uh, he's been in uh, Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine several times, and he's got a lot of he's got quite a history. Let's just get him in and see what's going on in his world. So, Mr. David Dean, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you, Alan, Dave, for having me. I'm I'm really glad to be here. I appreciate it. Hopefully you say that at the end of the show. <laughs> I know it's, Me too. Yeah, it doesn't always go that way. But uh, well, so w- what is going on here? Now it looks like in my in my quick view over who you are and everything, you're kind of a mystery noir writer, short story. It's kind of a, what I'll say short, you know, quickly. Um, is that a good description of who you are, or how do you describe yourself as a writer? Well, it's a yeah. I'm primarily, I guess, if if. Uh, in, Primarily a crime fiction, uh, not just noir, uh, but uh, have a couple of different uh, subgenres. I guess I work in in crime fiction as well as uh, I also write horror uh, stories from time to time, not nearly as frequently. But um, but I've been hacking away at it for uh, over thirty years now. And, uh, Gee, that's pretty good. I mean, you're only thirty-five. <laughs> Yeah, I was um, about thirty years ago. <laughs> well, and, and horror and crime kind of can cross over at times, right? Like you could you could really mix the two pretty easily. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and in fact, I, I, I did that uh, several times uh, with uh, Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, and they kind of aided and abetted me in that. You know, there's an element. Uh, it, it, it doesn't. Uh, necessarily solve the mystery or whatever but there's an element of the supernatural involved in in, in a uh, story uh and of course in almost every horror story if you think about it uh in most horror stories i will say there is a crime of some sort right you know um so they, they kind of sometimes it's a story yeah sometimes <laughs> it's a story yes. uh, but it's, it's so they do kind of mix I think pretty easily, but the uh, audiences, the reading audiences, do not mix that well. Um, you don't have, a, at least this has been my understanding, you don't have a lot of people who are real, for instance, horror fans that necessarily read much mystery, and then it's, you know, vice versa. A lot of mystery readers are like, nope, don't go to horror. So it's right. kind of interesting that way. But I do see it, I do see crossover stories 
fairly frequently. And yeah, written yeah. I, I think some of the horror writers or readers, I should say, are probably more into a lot more intense suspense or gore sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a lot more violent, right? Noir and, and sometimes even crime fiction quite a bit isn't so violent, I would say. Yeah, not necessarily. It's, uh, I mean, you can have, uh, you know, what I term a pretty quiet crime fiction, you know, that's uh, mostly psychological, you know, where you're in the heads of either the perpetrator or or, or perhaps the, uh, the, the investigator, be they police or civilian, and, and uh, or sometimes even the victim. Uh, so that so that uh, you know it can actually be very quiet. The crime itself may have happened years before. And I know one one book I, well, I mean, one story I wrote called Tomorrow's Dead, which is the title, the titular story for the collection Tomorrow's Dead and and uh, other stories of crime and suspense. That one's actually uh, there are violent crimes within that one, so it's probably not a great example. But it's actually most of the story is based on a crime that had happened, or several crimes that had happened decades before, completely off-screen, so to speak. And then as the story unravels, we find out about that at the end and realize that's what's propelling the current rash of crimes, that uh, of murders that are being committed. Now, uh, when, you, when you do a short story like that, too, um, how much of a characters can you really get into or describe in a short story like how is it you do it so that let's say a reader will understand the characters in such a um, short way you know I don't know how to say this but it, it, how is it that I'm going to understand who these characters are without getting into pages and pages of details well and that is the challenge uh, of writing short stories um, it really is typically they're not character driven uh, however you, know, I mean, you bring up a, a you know, a really good point, which is you have to have good characters nonetheless. Uh, so brevity, of course, is, um, you know, what you have to go for. And usually, you know, you can suggest that, uh, you know, with just a few lines, maybe through the character's own observations, you, you, you learn something about his character or her character. And depending on how the story is being told, maybe from others, you know, a couple of lines that give an idea about who the person is. But unlike a novel, you know, as you're pointing out, I think that, that you don't get pages in which to describe both physically or uh, in any other way uh, any of the characters. You just get a few lines or paragraph at most and move on. So you really have to be very succinct, very specific. Um, and then and then move on. Let uh, I believe in letting the reader fill in a lot. I mean, once you've given them something to go on, you know, I give readers credit for a lot of intelligence, and they'll usually fill in the rest without any problem. Well, speaking of your characters, um, do do you have an inner monologue? Can you hear your characters? Is that um, is that kind? Of, and can you hear the prose? Is is that kind of how you create fiction? Or do you have another way? Are you more visual? I, typically, I, I think um, I'm more visual to begin with, at least. Um, sort of kickstarts with that, with an image or images and um, a setting usually. And then I start to people it, um, kind of like doing a landscape. And then you start putting characters on the landscape. As far as the, the dialogues, sometimes. You know, they'll speak to me. Um, a lot of writers say that that's how they work. and But I can't say that in general that that's the case. Uh, usually it's when I sit down to write, when I'm actually in the act of writing, the dialogue starts to come to me, what they would say or wouldn't say. And and part of that is I, I, well, I, should, I should preface this by saying that uh, going back to about the question about portraying characters uh, or painting characters in words is that, Usually before I write a story, I, I also do a little sketch of my own. I mean, not a, a, a drawing, because I can't draw anything but stick figures, but an, a, like a paragraph or two, uh, and sometimes a whole page, describing in detail a character. Now, all of that won't end up in the story, because uh, it's a short story. But out of that, I'll be able to draft certain things 
that will help build that character. And, um, and then from that, having a sort of a solid foundation, usually the dialogue ends up not being a big problem. Right, right. Now, of course, your um, Wisdom of Serpents and uh, Tomorrow's Dead, they're, they're two collections, and they're kind of based on short stories of, of crime and suspense, as you call it. Where, where do you get that from? Is this like your time in prison, or were you, <laughs> like, like where, does this, where does this come from? Were you sort of influenced by shows like Perry Mason or something like that? Well, um, I, I did spend uh, 25 years in, uh, as a police officer. Okay. so And um, here in New Jersey. So so some of it is, in, you know, informed by that. Like the first book, Tomorrow's Dead, is all about law enforcement officers and, and or people involved in law enforcement in, in one capacity or another. There's a police officer, there's a police chief, there's a detective, there's a uh, dispatcher, you know, each of them in various stories. Whereas the second collection deals with, uh, also deals with crime and stuff, but it's more about uh, people who are not involved in law enforcement normally, and they're just uh, kind of stumbling along through life like most of us, and they make a really bad choice based on Either, either their their misunderstanding of something or uh, uh, just just making a bad decision, and then about the consequences of all that, which is the wisdom of serpents. That's what that's about: the wisdom of serpents being poison, basically. And sometimes, uh, you know, we poison ourselves without uh, realizing it and get into a lot of trouble and then have to figure out some way out of it. So, so there's that. You mentioned prison. Um, <laughs> I've, never, I've never spent any time in prison. Uh, I, uh, I did spend a night in jail once when I was a teenager. Convinced me I did not want to go any further in the uh, criminal world. I was done with that. However, I did have a, um, I had an uncle. He's, he since passed away many years ago. I had an uncle who I pretty much grew up with. Who He was a career criminal. He was a bank robber, did time for murder. Um, did a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of unpleasant things. So I did know him pretty well. I mean, he basically lived with us sometimes when in between stays in prison. Got to know him and got to know something about basically, you know, not not to speak ill of the dead, but I mean, you know, how criminals think. Yeah. He was an interesting character, and he liked to talk. I mean, he would tell us a lot of inappropriate things for kids to know. Well, and is there a concept behind it? Like, do you have kind of a... Like when you decide to write, you know, 10 or 12 short stories, let's say in the first one, Tomorrow's Dead, and it's kind of police procedural and stuff, it's, it, it, do you choose them from sort of procedures that you think people maybe are interested in or maybe they don't understand or something? Like do you have a concept when you choose the topics? Well, these both of these collections were, um, you know, sort of gathered together, uh, in, in most cases, uh, Quite a quite a while after they were originally published, I think when I was writing, I started off writing uh, when I was still a police officer, and I started off writing uh, about a police officer. Um, surprise! <laughs> uh, just a patrolman, being, you know, sort of everything from the street level, uh, just simple stories, and and based on either th either things that uh, you know calls the type of calls I'd been on or. Uh, uh, or some of my partners had been on. From that, I would weave a a fictional tale. As time went by, I mean that that you know uh, grew into basically segueing over into not just the police but other characters as well. So I can't say that I like had an agenda, if you will. You know, I mean, uh, I really didn't. It just things would suggest themselves to me. It'd pop up in my mind, or uh, you know, I just. Like I said, I'd get an image or a picture in my head of something, and I'd say, well, you know, that, um, that might work for a story. And uh, usually I'd outline. I'm one of those. I'm not a by-the-seat-of-the-pants person too much. And so I generally I outline, and if I know if, if I can, like, get to the end of the outline, if I can have a beginning, middle, and end, even if that's not what I end up writing, I feel like I can do the story, I, that this can be a story. And sometimes it ends up very differently from the outline, but it, it gives me the comfort level to say, you can do this. You'll end up not just wasting your time. Well, how, how much literary license do you take with 
uh, police procedure, or can you? Uh, do the readers uh, take you to task, if you bear, from the truth to serve the plot? I've not had any do that yet, um, but I try to, in terms of police procedures, and of course now I'm, I'm becoming uh, less of a, an authority on police procedures and more of a hi historian, because uh, I've been retired for 10 years, and um, things, things have changed a lot. And, and the and police work, you know, it's changed a lot technologically, right. too, so uh, in a very short amount of time, and was doing so even when I was working. Most everything I wrote was based on my own experiences in terms of police work, and, and based on New Jersey law, uh, not that they necessarily were set in New Jersey, but that's, you know, New Jersey procedures, New Jersey law, that's what I knew. So I tried to be, you know, assiduous in that. Beyond that, it was all fiction. So what are your influences besides your work? Like, do you, do you read a lot of mystery and, and crime or uh, in a fictional sense, or is this? Well, actually, um, yes, I, I, I won't say I read a lot I, I, of, of crime fiction. Um, I probably read more uh, history, uh, nonfiction, than than. Uh, than that. Uh, I've just always been like, that's my, I guess because I do write, uh, it, that's my relaxation is reading nonfiction, uh, specifically history. I do, in fact, uh, you know, read like Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, which has a lot of great writers in it, other, uh, you know, than myself, of course. Um, I don't know where they get them from, but somehow or another they managed to Put, put them all together, and my name doesn't even get on the cover. How rude. <laughs> I know. Come on. You know, I've got seniority here, but it doesn't work. Um, no. But, yeah, so so I read that, so I sort of stay current with, uh, and I know actually at this point now, I've been at it so long, I know a lot of the writers. I've met them at one point or another, and, and uh, which is interesting, and we kind of keep in touch through Zoom and that sort of thing and talk about writing and the writing scene, especially crime fiction in particular. When I was growing up, I read a lot. I mean, uh, and I still read uh, quite a bit of, when I read fiction, I tend to read horror stories or ghost stories or tales of the supernatural, that kind of thing. When I was growing up, I, I, I think I read, uh, I mean, I certainly was influenced by Raymond Chandler because I did read like all the Philip Marlowe novels. Uh, I was especially uh, influenced, I think, by a, a, a pair of Swedish writers who I don't know if anybody in America knows him because it was sort of before uh, a lot of the Swedish mystery writers broke into the American scene and became so popular, but it was a couple um, uh, who wrote, and I'll murder their names uh, because they're Swedish, uh, but Per Walu and Maj Spoval um, wrote a series of police procedural novels that I read when I was in the Army. And I came across like in a uh, military library in Baumholder, Germany. I read that, and that was like the first time I really like thought, "Wow, this is really interesting." And it may have even been what sparked my interest in police work, you know, to begin with, uh, because it was after I came out of the army that I went into police work. They were a big influence on me. They were very meticulous, kind of in there. At least, not that I'm an authority on Swedish police work. I, I'm taking them at their word, but they seem to be very meticulous and careful, and, and they and they also wrote great stories. So sugar crime fiction-wise, those three writers influenced me quite a bit. There's been a, a number of writers, I guess, that over the years that have def definitely influenced me. Um, I mean, from Poe to, I guess he influenced everybody. But, um, you know, he invented the detective story. And, of course, if you're going to read horror fiction, it's hard to get around Edgar Allan Poe. Other than that, I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, it's pretty eclectic, you know, my, my taste in, in writing. I mean, uh, everybody from Ray Bradbury to uh, Graham Greene to uh, Joyce Carol Oates, Flannery O'Connor. Well, you mentioned uh, Ellery, uh, Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine. Uh, what was it like the first time that you got into a top magazine like that? I don't write a lot of uh, crime fiction, but I haven't been able to crack that market. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, my story there is... is uh, it's unusual. I was taking, I was, had just gotten back to the States. I'd gotten, a, I'd gotten work, thank God, because uh, I was about to run out of money and I had a, a wife and I had a family. And uh, so uh, I'd gotten work and I uh, 
I graduated the academy, started, and I st- started um, going to uh, a local community college. And one of the courses we had to take was a uh, arts appreciation course. It was just kind of your standard thing, and um, the, the the professor was very good. I mean, and uh, but in the end, he said, "Well, you know, you got to do something. You got to create something to show, you know, your appreciation for the arts. You know, you can draw something, you can write something, sculpt something, just give something, take a stab at something." And that was our sort of our final. And uh, so I I said, "Okay, well, drawing's out. Pretty much everything's out." Because uh, I can't sing, I can't. I have no musical abilities <laughs> whatsoever. Music dies when I enter a room. So I thought, well, maybe I'll write a story because I, you know, I had like a year or so behind me now in police work, you know, and I thought about it. I thought maybe I could write a story. So I did that, and uh, it, it wasn't very long, and it was just like you know, they always tell you write what you know. Well, I wrote what I knew. And it was about a patrolman on duty and about catching a burglar, basically. And when I finished the, prof- uh, turned it in, the professor said, well, that's really good. He said, that's really good. He said, I, I think, you know, you should try to get it published. Which had, I'd never cro- that had not crossed my mind until he brought it up. It just happened. And um, I thought, well, sure. Sounds good. You know, can't hurt. I mean, what, you know, what, what could possibly go wrong? So I submitted to Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine. And, and I can't say that's because, uh, you know, I like was really familiar with them. I wasn't. I just kind of like looked it up and like, well, this is a mystery magazine. Alfred Hitchcock's a mystery magazine. And there were a couple of others. And I thought, well, I'll start with Ellery Queen. And they bought it. And I was like floored. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I thought, this is crazy. Are they? They bought that? <laughs> they gave me money for this story? <laughs> they have made a mistake. Because once they gave me money, I, I'm going to keep coming back. So, um, and, and then I found out later uh, how fortunate I was, actually, how lucky I was. Because uh, people bang on the door there for years. Yes. And, and I get very you know, frustrated and uh, and I, I just, you know, stumbled in with my mouth open and everything and never, I, I didn't know how lucky I was. Then I turned around and saw the second story I wrote and I thought, well, there's no stopping me now. But yes, there was because the third, the fourth, the fifth, they turned out. Uh, and that went on for quite a while where I would just keep cranking out stories and sending them and keep getting rejection notices. And then finally, I turned the tide again and I got a story published and basically with them and then basically been writing for them for you know nearly 30 years yeah 30 years at least well what do you think makes a good story what 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 makes a good short story to you to you well i think you know poe probably had it right you know when uh, and, I, and i'm just going to paraphrase him because i can't remember exactly how he he said it uh, or wrote it but um it's basically you know it's a, sh- a good short story you really should probably be able to read in a sitting and um, it deliver an impression or a, a, an effect at the end, a, a punch, something um, at the end that sticks with you. And everything in the story should basically build up to that moment, that climax. Because I mentioned earlier, it's not, unlike a novel, it's not really going to be character driven. It's going to be more, you know, of what happens in the story is more important. So at the end, there's, there should be a payoff. And that's, I'm sure, not how Edgar Allan Poe said it, but I think, I think I'm right in interpreting it that way. So I think that's what makes a good short story is that lingering moment at the end, you know, that, that where you, you think about it, you go, wow, okay. And it sticks with you for yeah. a while. Who is this Poe guy? I'm going to have to look him up. <laughs> yeah, he's obscure. A lot of people haven't heard of him. Um, Edgar or something. Yeah, I keep getting that, and I hear about this Stephen King dude, but I can't find yeah. him on Amazon, so Stephen I don't. King, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've heard he's, he's got, he's got uh, some talent, possibility yeah. of making something of himself. Well, um, they say that about some of the worst. 
make them sound better, <laughs> clean them up, you know. Oh, he may be rough, yeah. but he's got potential. Yeah. I did read a lot of Stephen King for, uh, for a while. when uh, I went through a Stephen King reading period. And uh, uh, he just outwrote me after a while. My God, he's the most prolific writer in the face of the planet. Him and James Patterson, I think. Uh, it's just nonstop. Drugs. It's amazing. Drugs. <laughs> it was in the beginning. Maybe I need to, to look into that. <laughs> this is, this is, now we found. Here we go. There we go. Next next book will be short stories on a, and you can call yourself drug dean. <laughs> well, you know they say Edgar Allan Poe also. I mean, there's rumors that he he fooled around with uh, narcotics of some kind. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> well, talking about uh, Poe and uh, uh, King, uh, what what draws you to horror? What um, what what draws you to want to read uh, that genre? Well, I, you know. I think that started actually when I was a kid. Uh, and, and, um, so that's a long time ago. So I'm going to have to really dredge the, uh, the memories <laughs> here. Uh, but, uh, I think I remember, um, the, at the school library, we had a, uh, a collection of ghost stories. And, um, and I'm sure that they were. Uh, inappropriate, probably would not be on the shelves of today's schools. But um, I think I, I just picked it out one day and started reading, and like was hooked. I can't tell you what the name of the collection was um, because it was so long ago. This is like when I was in fourth grade or something. Um, but then, I, you know, then I sort of started hunting them up, like Poe, and and uh, uh, I remember reading a collection of weren't necessarily horses, but there were a few uh, of H. H. Monroe, uh, Saki, as he was his pen name. Ray Bradbury, I got into. He's not really a horror writer, but um, some of his sci-fi stories were pretty horrific. Yeah, I think it really started just from the school library. They tainted me. At, um, <laughs> I was still in elementary school. Oh, and oh, oh and um, Richard Matheson, Richard Matheson, um, who was a, pro a prolific short story writer like Ray Bradbury. Um, now, he wrote a lot of science fiction, but he also wrote a lot of horror and a lot of sort of crossover. Of course, he has the famous novella, you know, um, I Am Legend, which kind of kicked off, the, in some ways, kicked off the whole zombie thing, even though it was really about a vampire plague. But uh, he wrote a, a great short story, which talk about having a punch and everything, I think. Uh, it lingers in the mind. It's a short story, and it's quite brief. It's just, and I believe it's called Born of Man and Woman. And uh, I think that's one of the best horror stories I've ever read. Do you, do you have a favorite character that you've written? Um, well, I guess. Um, or maybe a favorite story. In terms of characters, like one of them that's, that stayed with me for a long time was uh, a character uh, I dubbed Father Gregory. Father Gregory is a, uh, a Catholic priest who comes from India and is the parish priest for the town in which um, the police character that I had a series, sort of a series of stories about, Julian Hall, it's where, so in other words, it's his parish priest. And the reason that I, I, I came up with this character was because uh, I knew a priest, uh, had a parish priest who was from India, and he, he was really a great guy. We got to be close friends, and um, so I couldn't resist. There was, some, there was something about him that was so uh, genuine and engaging that uh, he ended the, his character, both in reality that I based it on, but also the character that I created out of that, I think became one of my favorite characters, Father Gregory. I, I think he's been in quite a few stories, actually, and one of them called In a Dark Manor. And not manner like a manor house, but in, in a dark manner as an M A N N E R. It's one of one of my favorite stories featuring him, and which uh, in fact there's there's no police officer in it at all. He uh, he simply has a, a woman who comes in for confession who's not Catholic, but wants to confess uh, to something that happened when she was a girl. Make a long story short, he allows her to do this and uh, affords her the uh, the, the sanctity of the confession so that it can't, he cannot repeat what he hears. And, and she tells him a story. And 
So I think in some ways that's about about this crime that she and that she commits had committed as a girl, along with several other girls, and uh, it's a murder. And I think that that's one of my favorite stories because it starts with him, and then has you sort of dip into his thinking as she's telling the story from time to time, and then it ends with him as she's leaving. And I think that was. And I think I like that one. Probably the, the best of the Father Gregory stories. Other series characters, I had uh, an Irish-American gangster, uh, Seamus Tyrrell, who I've had in about five or six stories, maybe seven by now. Um, kind of like him because uh, he just gets to, unlike the police officers, always, you know, you have to go by the rules. When you write about criminals, when they're the main character, um, you don't really have to worry about all that. Uh, it's a lot easier. You can have a lot more going on. Um, so I kind of enjoyed writing those, liberating, being on the, side, the, the other side. Well, having written so many short stories, have, have you found any motifs, any recurrent themes in your work? And if, if you have, do you think it's been deliberately put in there or... Yeah, has it been unconscious? I, I have, as a matter of fact. I think, I think looking back over uh, my career as a writer, I began to see that there were definite themes. Like if, you, if somebody was studying my work, which, uh, God forbid, they should have to do, but if, if, uh, if they did, I think you would def definitely see several themes develop. Um, even I could see it. One of them, interestingly, is, is, uh, has to do with uh, nature. Animals um, come up a lot in some of my stories, um, and often not in a uh, benevolent way. Like I've had several stories, um, which, yeah, which where like household dog features in the story in some way, not necessarily as the main character, but um, certainly plays a role. Other things, I think uh, the conflict, that that uh, conflict of conscience that people deal with, not me, of course, as they struggle with issues. The issue, the, the very, uh, as, as the theme of the wisdom of serpents, that, that comes up a lot, which is, I guess, why I have a collection of it, uh, which is people misinterpreting the situation they're in or seeing it through a prism that is sort of of their own making and not understanding that they're seeing it wrong, all wrong. And their response is only going to make it worse. So that is a definite theme in a lot of my stories. And then, of course, in some cases, they get out of it. In other cases, they don't. More tragic. But, um, so you're writing about Americans. <laughs> I think probably people in general. <laughs> um, but, yes, uh, certainly. And also I, I write, uh, I've written uh, quite a few stories featuring children, you know, which is that's always a tough subject to write because you have to be very, very careful. You know, you can cross the lines. Uh, with crime fiction and children very, uh, you know, easily. So there's a delicate balance there. But um, a couple of, I, I, I would say, some of my more popular stories were, in fact, about children. Uh, one called Marielle came in second place in uh, the Reader's Award for the year it came out, the Ellery Queen Reader's Award. And uh, another called uh, Sophie, a third place, Tomorrow's Dead, which actually does not have any children in it, though it's about a crime that happened concerning children in the past, um, got nominated for an Edgar. Didn't get it, but got nominated. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, uh, children have a, take a beating in crimes. Uh, crime, In other words, they are doubly victimized by crimes because they're children. I have a, a lot of empathy, I guess, for children who are in tough situations in terms of their families, being dysfunctional to the extreme. I find that they make very sympathetic protagonists. And sometimes in some of the stories, they're pretty tough because kids can be ruthless. They're not necessarily bound by any laws, anything. Right. Yeah, just listen to some of Dave's stories. <laughs> <laughs> From the 80s there, you know, mm. crazy, <laughs> you know, yeah. tell you what, but when you're, when you're doing this, when you're dealing with people that are, um, 
you know, they're seeing something wrong or they're in a, they, they're misinterpreting, as you said, kind of their surroundings and, and what they're going through. Are you, are you writing, do you write in first person? Like, do you go, do you write from that person's point of view, that person's mind? Or are you telling it about them from an outside point of view? How, how do, how do you write that? I, um, I generally do the third person. I've, I've never been big on first person. Um, not that I haven't done that. I have. Uh, but generally, I, I'd like third person. It just, to me, it, uh, it's more of a, first of all, it's more of a challenge. Doing first person is, to me, it's easier. But it also boxes you in somewhat because, obviously, you can only see through their eyes. The reader, the, the, the writer can only write through how they see things, and the reader can only do the same. So I think most of the time I like to write in third person so that I have a bigger scope. And I think especially because it is because they are short stories, I, you know, I want that ability to, to do as much as I can in the story. And, and uh, some, But sometimes, though, you know, obviously doing first person is, works great. You know, I mean, it's the only way to tell a particular tale. You know, like the telltale heart. I mean, you know, it'd be hard to do better than that in terms of first person a story but um, but I don't do a lot of that I, t- I find it it's uh, more satisfying to do the third person yeah well I, ca- I guess you can explain things from an out outer perspective of of you can explain what what the what your character is getting wrong I guess from an outside point of view yeah I, exactly and you you can you can certainly give the reader, at the very least, you can give the reader hints. You know, um, you, you you can inform them of certain things that the the, per, the protagonist may be the very things that they're misinterpreting or not seeing. So it's kind of like watching the slow-moving train wreck. You know, you see it coming, but there's just not a lot you can do about it. You do nothing but describe the train. <laughs> yeah. So do you ever think you ever see yourself writing a whole novel or a book or something with then other than a short story? I have yes, I have done, and um, I wrote. Uh, in fact, I wrote a horror novel called The Thirteenth Child. It's a, a vampire story, in which uh, the premise is basically built around a vampire that uh, is a product of evolution, one of the last of his kind, living amongst us. And is also a child, but but he's not you know create he's not it's not there's nothing supernatural. He is a, he is simply an evolutionary product that was in the dawn of time created to prey upon us. That's why he looks a lot like us. Is able to mimic us, but he's not us. So the thirteenth child, I wrote that, and that did pretty well. Didn't threaten Stephen King, but it did okay. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, you just got to write it when he takes the day off. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem, isn't it? Just uh, the day off. Yeah. Keep waiting for. So you use victims uh, of children. Is that because maybe they're innocents because they're naive? Um, it, it's kind of what gives them. Yeah, like like yes, um, yeah, definitely. Like like in the story, Marielle, she's. You know, obviously, all all children are, are, are innocent, and and uh, I mean, until they're you know, in some way informed by life, corrupted by life. Um, yeah, don't don't forget about yeah. David. <laughs> no, can't forget about David. <laughs> yeah, totally correct. He, he runs yeah. around with a sword. I'm not going to forget about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but but she's like she's actually kind of a, a, a force to be reckoned with in this story. You know, in that uh, she, her mission, she discovers that someone has killed her dog. And upon realizing that, she decides to investigate all of her neighbors to determine who did it and to get retribution. In the way that, you know, only a child can do, you know, the kind of naivete, but at the same time, a certain sort of uh, uh, focus uh, and disregard for, you know, the rules and regs. Right. So she's right. kind of, she's kind of a scary Nancy Drew, except she's much she's younger than Nancy. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> she can be scary too, actually. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very angry. Uh, 
but <laughs> but uh, yeah. So so and and then in another story, uh, Sophie. Uh, Sophie is actually a girl's name, but the main character is um, a friend of hers, and he's a young boy, and she disappears, and he suspects her parents. Well, actually, it's it's her mother and her mother's boyfriend, and they run a crack house, basically, and he suspects that something's happened to Sophie, and they're, they're either responsible for covering it up, and he, he investigates. So they're not just, and, and the stories, they're, and a lot of these stories, they are on the attack. <laughs> they are doing as only children can do. They're acting on what they believe completely and absolutely because the filtering system isn't there. Oh, do I have a filter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I may be ascribing you characteristics yeah. you don't possess. I don't know, but... <laughs> I know. I know. Well, yeah. you know, I'm probably very much like some of my own characters. Um, I probably see things in a way that are often wrong. In fact, I know that, dude, to my sorrow. So, yes, children. I think children. You know, are, um, it's a tough subject, like I said, because you have to be careful. Um, you know, the readers uh, obviously they're not going to like it if anything, you know, really bad happens to a child. To write children characters can be a challenge too, because obviously it's. I know that I know their listeners can't see me, but it's been a while um, since I was a kid. But I do I do remember it pretty much. Last century. Yeah, I, I, yes, as a matter of fact, last century. Yes, <laughs> oh, mid-century modern. I think is the furniture term uh, and that would describe <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so did, did, is there any? Uh, do you have a problem writing about the darkness or, or is, or is the crux to the story? Is, is it kind of the, um, what should I say? The, the movement, the current of the story is more about the, uh, fighting or overcoming the evil or the bad thing. Yeah. I think that the, definitely that, um, it is, it is, uh, you know, you have, you have your characters, but it is, yes, definitely a, a fight, a move, a movement towards justice. Uh, towards a resolution, right, and yeah. and a good and Solving. you know not necessarily the uh, the perfect ending, but some form of justice. Right. Is this because um, working in law enforcement, you saw a lot of unsolved justice, perhaps not resolved? Well, I mean, I certainly saw you know a number of uh, dysfunctional families and. Um, uh, I know lots of people who grew up in them, uh, including myself to some degree. And um, I know how hard it can be on children to be in those situations. It's very tough. I'll give you a story. One one time I I was on duty and I got a call. Well, we got a call, the department, that there were two children walking down the street, uh, a a a girl and a boy. And it was the middle of the day. They didn't look to be school age, and there was no adult with them. And so I went on the call. I, I get there, and, and I, uh, I find the kids walking down the street on the sidewalk. The little sister, she's holding the little boy. He's younger. He's still in diapers. She's holding his hand. I just am able to determine where they came from because I had dealt with the family in the past. Got them taken care of, and I got, I got a social worker there and everything. And, and uh, they, I went back to the house, and uh, I get to the, I walk up onto the porch, and there's a slider. It was a rental unit. It was a, it was a first on the first floor, and there was a slider. And I look through the slider, and uh, I see the father whom I'd met before and dealt with, and he's passed out, and there's nobody else there. So I go in and I wake him up. You know, a little shocked to see me. I ask him. I said. Where are your kids? They're here? Question mark. I could tell. It was quite, he sort of knew I was a loaded uh, question. And uh, I said, no, they're not. And, uh, and we went from there. Anyway, he got arrested and, and, uh, for neglect. But this was, a, you know, like a four-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy, you know, just uh, left, in essence, on their own in a household that was, you know, things like that, you know, are sad. They stick with you and, you know make you realize kids are kids have a tough time of it you know it's uh or can and they grow up 
and then that's it all comes out in a wash. But um, so I have a lot of sympathy. I guess I have a lot of sympathy for him. I had a lot of uh, when I was growing up. There was a lot of thick violence in my neighborhood, and a lot of you know fathers were pretty tough on their kids, to say the least. Well, I'm still I'm still waiting to meet someone that had an, had one of those families I see on TV, like Leave It to Beaver. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I didn't know a family like that. So no, for me. I, I kind of thought, well, that was weird. Um, none of the neighbors. No, the same way. Yeah, I, I, I guess it was, yeah, it was the models, the role model. But I was the same way. I was like, but I, I never questioned it. I just thought, well, you know. Huh. They're somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not us. It's not our neighborhood. But, uh, you know, I, well, she grew up with a working class dad, too, like myself. They never wore a suit in their life. Right. They yeah. didn't come home dressed in a suit and a tie, and mother wasn't wearing that lovely dress and necklace when she's prancing around making dinner. That that just I I didn't I didn't see that coming. I had <laughs> yeah same here. That was a it was a different world. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, maybe did, Dave, did you grow up like that? No, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Well, see, I, I still have yet to meet someone. Yeah, well, I, I I kept thinking we might move to that neighborhood, you know. But we kept hoping we would. Um, yeah, that never happens. Um, well, uh, let's let's move on to this now. Do you have a um, social media set up? Do you interact with readers? Do you like to have? Do you have a website? Um, well, where, do you? Where do people find you? Well, you can find me on uh, Genius Books or GeniusBooksPublishing.com. Uh, you can see it there. I'm on Goodreads. Uh, I have a Facebook. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I don't have a website. No excuse. Just don't have one. But I'm in those three places. And um, you can, my, all my, my books and collections are uh, on Amazon and, and with Genius Book Publishing. Right. Who are great, by the way. They're Terrific. They're genius. Steven, Steven, they are, and they only accept writers of a genius caliber. Just, oh, well, is that what it is? Well, you can't name a company that if it's not true. Oh, so that's, right. Right. that's right. I think they made a few mistakes, but that's... You have to prove it. <laughs> uh, not naming names. Here, anyway. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, of course, we were talking about your latest uh, features, you know, the wisdom of serpents. And Tomorrow's Dead, uh, both good series of short stories. And, of course, we're going to have all that up on our website, you know, so people can find it one click. And, uh, you know, what can I say? So thank you very much for being here, Mr. Uh, David Dean. Thank you so much, both of you, for having me. I really do appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thanks, David. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, all shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, all shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.